Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everybody, this is Matthew Krauss, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is composer, keyboardist, sound designer, and overall creative Christian Matthew Cullen. Christian started his professional career as a session musician and sideman for Jim Pederick, best known as the keyboard player of Survivor. Jim was involved in Jim's group, The World Stage Band, where he gained the opportunity to play with notable rock artists such as Alan Parsons, Don Barnes from 38 Special, members of Ario Speedwagon, Kip Winger, Joe Lynn Turner from Deep Purple and Rainbow, Mickey Thomas from Starship, and Kelly Keegy from Night Ranger. And it was from that meeting that Kelly offered Christian the keyboard chair in Night Ranger in early of 2007. Christian continued on with Night Ranger until 2011. During his time, he toured the world supporting rock giants Journey, Sticks, Boston, Ario Speedwagon, Peter Frampton, Hart, Alice Cooper, Steve Miller, and Eddie Money. Christian launched a sample company called Sounds Famous. It's for Apple Mainstage and features iconic synth sounds from classic records like Prince's 1999, using analog and virtual synths captured through analog gear and processed to sound exactly like the records they came from. Currently, he composes music and creates sound design for video games, animation, and advertising. He's also created award-winning music for children's media and toys for companies such as Fisher-Price, Radio Flyer, and Learning Curve. Just a reminder, if you're compelled to support what we do here at Working Drummer Podcast, there are a couple different ways that you can donate. We have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash workingdrummer, where you can do a monthly donation at many different levels with many different prizes and incentives involved with that. We also have a PayPal button that we've put on the website, so if that is of interest, that might be an easy route for you. Anything and any amount is really helpful to the three of us keeping this thing rocking. We also have t-shirts available, and we've just designed that to be really simple. Just reach out to us through the contact page. To find out more about this episode and all the episodes that we've done over the last three years, you can find us at WorkingDrummer.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really helps us grow. So I implore you to hang on to this interview from beginning to end. It started out with a a little glitchy with the Skype connection, but again, I implore you, please hang on because we get into some heavy stuff that I think you'll really enjoy. So here's my conversation with Christian Matthew Cullen. You and I talked at NAMM a little bit about some of the drummers I'd worked with, um, one being Abe Laboyle Jr. Yeah. Um, we were doing a record in um, Los Angeles with producer, engineer. Uh, well, the producer was Rick Chudikoff, who lives in Nashville, is an old friend of mine. And the engineer was um, Joe Zook, who did uh, a lot of the One Republic stuff. And he's just... A-list engineer, amazing producer engineer. So we're doing a record at El Dorado and, you know, Abe comes in and, you know, I obviously knew of him mm-hmm. greatly through Paul McCartney. And um, and so Rick had known Brian Ray, who's Paul's guitar player. And so he pulled him on, pulled him in on the session and then, then uh, Brian Ray pulled Abe in. So we had two of Paul's players, you know, from his band, yeah. Such a thrill. And I was hired to co-produce, play bass, and play keyboards, which isn't now the norm for when I work on my own stuff. But 
you know, I was so excited to play bass on a session with with Babe. <laughs> I was mm. like, because it feels different than when you're playing keyboards. It's a different, you know, box to right, play in. Right. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a different communication, seeing each other in the same room. And, and so the thing that struck me the most about Abe in particular, and both Abe and Brian both have this innate sense for songs and parts. And I mean, they both listened down once to a song and like, they were like one or two takes, you know, as a band. And, and it was just uh, astounding to watch that kind of uh just it's like all their taste and all their experience just you just see it happen in that moment and you're you know and you're tracking and it's just really really fun and the thing that i i took away from that was that i had some ideas about what i wanted to accomplish with songs but as soon as we all started playing that all changed it was very rigid in the parts that i wanted to play or the you know certain things i thought i wanted to do the songs uh it wouldn't have and so i was really open to the the ideas and the input you know coming from joe coming from rick from abe and brian and they had such ideas about you know abe would be like why don't we do like this kind of boogaloo kind of hip-hop thing here and that changed and we're working it out in the room together but it was like it's sort of like how the beatles did it like it's best idea in the room floats yeah yeah and you know it, it takes a lot of maturity as you know a musician to be open to that and just kind of put your ego aside and you just you're there in the moment to just whatever's going to happen happens and it was magical it really was just to see how things took shape because abe drives a band like a mofo oh know? i know like, i know he's amazing he's he's, he's it's heavy and his groove is just it's i kind of like see drummers as kind of one of two things like it's either they're kind of like sharing time with the band and we all kind of play with the drummer mm-hmm. and the drummer's kind of playing with the band or we are like in the drummer's world <laughs> oh interesting yeah you know i just i was open to what the energy in the room was i was open to whatever ideas abe or brian or joe or rick would have about just shaping the song and honestly that that's a huge reason why i still travel to nashville board um because i love uh just being in a room as a band and working something out together um and certain obviously certain genres warrant that you know like rock stuff pop stuff um, you know, and I, there's plenty of programming I do here on my, my TV and advertising stuff that I just, you know, like that, it just, it's me and the computer and, and that's great and all, but there's something so special about just like being in the room and working it out together. Um, and I feel like Nashville still embraces that, which is so awesome that, you know, so I, I try to get that in there when I can and, and do it. Um, but I, I remember like on the session in LA, um, Brian was taking a break and he had said something to me in passing that it stuck with me. And he said that him and Brian, him and um, Abe work together a bunch, obviously. And they, they record together a bunch as well. And he said, that's why I still do live tracking dates, you know, with a drummer or with Abe is because um, it's the little shifts that happen on a session 
or in a rehearsal that shapes the band and it shapes the song, it shapes the pops, even a kick drum pattern that changes or, mm -hmm. or, you know, where, you know, laying out the first verse and coming in on the free chords as a drummer, you know, that can make all the difference in the world. And you know, to, to be in the room working it out together before you hit record is really an amazing way to do it. It's very efficient and very satisfying because you're building bonds as a band as well. Like personally, we're developing a vocabulary um, and then it really translates to tape that way. I, I, I really feel like you're capturing not only playing for the song, but you're also capturing the spirit of the individuals, you know, making that record. Um, and, and there's so, there's yeah. so much uh, recording done remotely now, and I and that a lot of that stuff that element gets lost, um, or you're working off a demo where there may be um, a loop or some sort of um, artificial drum track that I think you have to work from, but then those elements come into play when creating something that sounds original, that sounds organic, that that is is difficult to duplicate but a lot of times the nature of how we work or the nature of how you are procuring work is either remotely or sometimes you're by yourself so i think yeah. just having a basic understanding that that magic happens in a group setting can be useful when you are by yourself to say okay how would i do this what would be the input or maybe we can have some sort of email thread or maybe we could send them some rough tracks i'm, I'm trying to figure out how to remedy that with a lot of the way recordings are done these days yeah a lot of times if i'm playing on something for a client remotely like if i'm doing keyboard tracks at home or or if i'm producing something and i want to have a guitar player or somebody else featured on it um you know, I'll get on a, a Skype with them and I'll just explain kind of like, you know, like we're having right now, just explain the vibe of what I'm looking for, you know, the spirit of it and try to at least have some sort of dialogue with the person because it is a person that's bringing their, their talent and gift to the project. And I want to connect with that. I don't want to just send it off and be like, okay, just do what you do. Yeah. Um, you know, I have singers in, in Nashville that I, love working with and clients ask for and i'll skype with an engineer in nashville and it's like i'm there for most you know for most intents and purposes like right um and i prefer that i, I love that dialogue and just like you know i'd prefer to be there but um it just boils down to a better result in the end mm -hmm. to have that connection yeah yeah um and i've always been a a, a huge fan of pre-production no matter what you know, hmm. it's it's kind of like the rehearsal before the session or, yeah. um, you know, usually with a band, you know. But even if the band is an amazing band of musicians, it's there's still something to getting together and hashing out ideas together before you go in and spend the money and spend the time. Um, it's not always on um, natural is a, a thing usually it's just session players coming in doing what they do but i taking just a little bit more and getting to know the songs a little bit and getting to know the parts and and really finding sounds that are unique to them and that's a huge thing like for me like I, as a sound designer like i just i i want to be part of 
very compelling sounds. Right. Um, drummer perspective, you know, um, do you know a drummer national named Wook, <laughs> Dorian Crozer? I don't. They call him the <laughs> they call him the Wook, and he's an amazing drummer. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff on Rascal Flatts records. He's done, uh, I want to say he did some Three Doors Down stuff. He played on all the Jonas Brothers stuff. He works with John Fields, uh, who's a, an amazing producer. He's he's up in uh, Minnesota now. Um, but he's in he lives in Franklin now. He's got an amazing studio. And uh, he, we were on a tracking day not, not too long ago, and... You know, he had his little, uh, I don't know what the, I forget the model of the Roland drum pad with you can load your own samples in. Right. Uh, SPD. Yes. SPD or, yeah. So I thought it was really refreshing. Like he had a bank pounds on machine next to him, laptop, and we were kind of going through you know, the, the first couple pass-throughs of stuff, he was paging through and finding some cool just mood things, you know, even like he started off with the NATO weight thing on a track, you know, kick snare hat on the NATO weight kit and and then moved to real kit. And yeah. I just thought that was really cool. It's like to have some unique sounds to bring in that are unique to the song and not just be like, okay, we're just going to throw acoustic drums on everything and and you know the producer will do some programming after the fact. I thought that was really cool that he has that part of his setup, and he kind of brings that production layer as a drummer, yeah. you know, to the production. I think that's really great. So he was starting out with something to to either be used on the final track, or maybe just to kind of create a vibe that would help get to the place where everyone wanted to be. You think? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And there was decisions that I made um, about what I wanted to accomplish at tracking based off of his choices, which, you know, normally would not happen if it was just myself. And um, that's that's another thing about live tracking that I really have grown to appreciate is that when you know that you're going to go down as a band and track together, you kind of have to start thinking in layers and thinking about, you know, what's what am I going to track with in this pass to give the song the energy and the vibe? So he's, you know, Wook is playing some drum pads and kind of getting his vibe together. And I went from playing, you know, piano to some weird atmospheric thing. Mm. And all of a sudden we're in a totally different vibe of tracking. Yeah. But it's it's lending itself to this new energy for the song that kind of shaped it in that moment. And I, I think if he didn't have the SPD with him as part of his setup, I probably wouldn't have made the choices that I made as a keyboard player at that moment. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you can bring in all these elements, and and of course there's there's the ability more so now than than ever before to recreate things live that were done in the studio. But I, it's, it's interesting because uh, I, I just worked on something this weekend and we started layering things and we started adding different things. And, and the, the songwriter who was also doing some producing of it, he, he's, he was saying, now, I don't want to get too far into some studio stuff because I did this before and when we went to play live, we had a hard time recreating this. 
So he was being、mm. conscious of how do we create something that sounds sonically great and 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 interesting and experimental. I want to stay there, but I don't want to go too far there because I want to be able to like throw a band together and be able to do a festival date, be able to play a a, a quick, you know, doing certain certain types of lives. Sets where you don't have your whole rig, you don't have the luxury of recreating everything. So I thought that was, and and this is after two records that he had done. So he was working on his third record where he wanted to be more conscious of that. I thought that was kind of interesting,、um, as opposed to going all like、uh, Abbey Road or something like that on it, where he, it's like, okay, well, we can't ever recreate. <laughs> no, I understand that. You know, I think I think there's merit to that、um, rationale too, and. The reason why I say that is because I'm a firm believer in limitation.、Mm. Um, because I feel like when you're limited to certain creative choices or instruments or gear, you allow room for your brain to naturally be creative.、Mm. Um, and that's where I feel like the magic comes out. It's not in the gear or the instruments we have.、Um, And I, I'm a firm believer of this, just from being a producer. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many virtual synthesizers I have, not to mention the hardware synths <laughs> in my room. It's like so many choices, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and I could sit there and I call it, you know, synth menu hell. You know, you're just like, you know, <clears throat> if it's something I'm trying to do quickly.、Um, A lot of times, you know, sometimes I'll sound design from scratch, but sometimes I'm just I just want to pull up a sound because I know what I want. But if I just keep jumping from instrument to instrument, I feel like you know a bunch of time will go by. Whereas if I find an instrument and say, "Hey, okay, I'm just going to use the Moog right now,、mm-hmm. and maybe some pedals,、mm-hmm. and I'm just going to figure this out. Like whatever I'm trying to accomplish sonically, I'm going to try to coax it out of this instrument,、um, which immediately kind of puts you in a different headspace creatively.、Um, To solve that creative problem, and then you're coming up with something unique because you're not just paging through menus; you're actually reaching for something.、Um, and that's kind of what pulled me into sound design in the first place. Was like, you know, you can achieve these unique、uh, things through that. So back to what you were saying, I think that that producer is smart to impose some limitations. Um, upon the band because it actually makes you think about okay what's the lowest common denominator what is like the think about the song that's the most important thing and what are the parts the essential parts that's going to make this song work right,、um, right and I think that's brilliant I think that's a great way to approach it and I think in the back of my mind that's consciously or unconsciously there.、Um, And I, I think some of these rules apply nicely to a traditional song writing session, or when you're creating a song, as opposed to、uh, um, a soundtrack or sound design.、Um, but, but let me ask you:、um, tell me the difference between composing and sound designing. Okay. So composing.、Um Is really just for me、um, writing a piece of music for something, and、uh, some people do it where they write music and produce music for a music library.
um, where they just create whatever they're feeling, placing it, placing it in a library, mm-hmm. and other people access that library to use for TV or post production or you know film whatever. Um, I kind of went the custom music route where um, when I was touring, uh, I was touring with Night Ranger. I've done that for five or six years at that point. That was about 2007. Um, I would just spend, instead of being out partying, I would just go to my hotel room after the gig or around gigs, and I'd be working on music for baby toys or music for TV. Um, And so I was composing on a laptop rig. Um, and I knew at that point that I just wanted to write music for media, um, and specifically picture. I love getting a, a video from, um, a client, um, and, you know, it's just dialogue or if it's just picture and animation. And I love bringing that to life. And so, um, composing music for that, um, and then sound design for me is is kind of cut into two places. There's synth sound design, um, and that's kind of just where it came from roots wise as a keyboard player. So when I would play with certain artists, um, uh, I play with a lot of '80s artists. Like we play with Ray Parker Jr. on this TV thing. So I had to oh, cool. sound design sound design all the uh, you know the synth sounds for Ghostbusters or something right. like that. And you know what I mean and and that kind of became my calling card as a keyboard player was yeah. to, I knew that if I not only came in prepared with the parts and had a great attitude, that also if I had the sounds of the record, that people were going to really notice that. Because, um, you know, saw keyboard players, but keyboard players can be inherently lazy when it comes to sounds. <laughs> and <laughs> it just, you know, like. And it really is the X factor for me as a keyboard player. You know, tone is, you know, guitar players are notorious about their tone. And yeah, I feel true. like keyboard players, you know what I mean? They're just like, they're buying and selling pedals all the time. They're just trying to like constantly improve their tone and, and you know, just improve on that. And I think keyboard players should slash could, you know, have that um, same mentality. Because I think it's really important to to be somewhat capable as a sound designer to to make sounds that you need for a gig for a session or for a live gig yourself i think there's a lot of strength in that um so that's one part of sound design the other part is um i noticed early on when i was starting to compose for picture that there was a layer that i was that was missing from from the production that i felt like needed to be there from a cinematic point of view um, and that was actually like Foley sound effects stuff to picture that, you know, adds to the realism of the picture. Like, you know, the compositions part, part of one part of the production. And then I'll add a layer of sound design, sound effects, Foley, whatever. And then I'll end up mixing it all and sending it back to the client. So it's kind of two different things, but as I've done it over the years, they kind of start bleeding into each other in that. You know, some synth sounds that I create can be interpreted as a a sound effect in some ways to picture and vice versa. And I noticed also that sound design is really no different than layering in the studio with a music track um, and production. 
Um, it has to do with contrast. It has to do with layering the right sounds. Um, so I feel like synths and sound design, very, you know, they go very much hand in hand, mm -hmm. and that's kind of become part of my tool set. Um, yeah, and and I think there's ways that uh, for for a drummer in as that is often asked to play percussion, and you're creating certain moods and certain, uh, as you mentioned before, that drummers, especially in a session, will set different sections of the songs up in a very effective manner and that creates mood that creates excitement mm -hmm. and so to listen to other elements of music and instruments and musicians and what they do there's a takeaway for us to kind of say you know what that's where this tambourine needs to go this is where some of these electronic sounds can be applied to set up a mood, as you mentioned before, or introduce a new section that we have access to, even just from a very basic percussion standpoint, cymbal swells, and just the acoustic end of things. But, of course, now there's the, uh, uh, as well as the electronic element, uh, that's that's a lot easier to introduce to, and sure. is, is called upon uh, to be responsible for you know, for a drummer, uh, you mentioned, and, and I, I'm hoping that uh, I just I want to just make sure that that the listener uh, catches this. If if it was uh, if you mentioned it before, we were having some technical problems, but you were, uh, but and I want to I want to continue on with what you're talking, but I don't want to forget this. Is you mentioned your time with Abe Laboreal Jr. Could you tell me about that again, just one more time? Sure. Yeah. So I feel like there's kind of two two groups of drummers and this is just from my perspective yeah um and they're all they're all great drummers but it's kind of like in my, my head i've kind of split it up and on one side you have the drummer that they're a great player they have a great groove and they kind of play as if we're sharing time mm -hmm. if that makes sense so like um it's like a, like if i was playing with a guitar player you know, we have a certain groove together and the drummer, you know, that sort of drummer kind of plays within that parameter too. Um, and if I explain the other category, it may show what I mean. So on the other side, I, I see drummers that are the ones that they, they create the clock and the groove in a way that's very special. And, and that pocket is, you know, pockets used so freely but right right um what i what i mean by like you are in the womb of their <laughs> groove like like <clears throat> like you can't fall out of it it's one of those things that like um so abe when he started playing it's just you feel something and you were moved on on so many levels energy wise and and just part wise and you know, I feel that with um, Greg Morrow in Nashville. You know, Greg. Oh yeah, um, yeah. You know, he's he's a guy I've spent time with too, and he has that where you're just it it, it hurts. It's so good. It's just mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and they are creating this 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 world that you are playing in, and and it grooves, but it's so um, defined, and I I don't. Really know else how to quantify it but those are my favorite kind of players 
for yeah. sure. And it is interesting because I think there's going to be times that you're going to work with people that are going to want you to really lead the charge. They they want yeah. you to drive the bus or whatever, however you describe it. And there's going to be times when they're going to want something a little bit more inside. Uh, and if yeah. it's possible to make those adjustments then maybe it's maybe it's important to be able to recognize those things yeah even if the other person doesn't know what the, what the terminology is or right. you might be able to identify like i think this person needs me to take over uh totally cuz there's definitely times yeah. when i feel a certain comfort zone that is achieved by just saying here it is let's go follow me and people are like thank yeah. you think that's that you're taking that off my plate i could just concentrate on performing or creating yeah you know you know it's it, it's funny you say that because it's so true because you know sometimes the song calls for a stoner drummer part <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> like you're, you're just like on on the ride and it's just like played super light and it's just like behind and just not driving at all and yeah. the song will dictate that yeah um and, and yeah i think it really always boils down to the song i mean I, I think it should and i think there's there's a lot to gain from that perspective um especially when the song's really great if you're part of a good song it's like it's, it teaches you things about parts it's almost like it kind of shows you what it needs if you pay attention to it I've had a really fun ride in my career and I'm still having fun. And so when I started out doing what I was doing, I really just wanted to be in a band and just, you know, be a keyboard player. And, and I did that for years. Um, I came up in Chicago and I made friends with uh, Jim Peterick, who was in Ides of March. He was in Survivor. He was the keyboard player for Survivor. Mm hmm and I kind of became his go-to rock keyboard guy. And I was in my 20s. And he started doing these shows where he would invite lead singers of Speedwagon and Styx and, uh, um, and 38 Special. And we would they would come out and, and Jim put together a core band called World Stage and we would play all their hits. Um, so immediately I got to network with all these guys and play all their music. And, you know, a lot of the eighties artists, I got to really hone my sound design skills as a, as a synth player. Yeah. Um, and that's out of that came, um, you know, I met Kelly Kagi from night Ranger and, uh, in 2007, he had called me, um, and asked if I wanted to join the band. And just from that, you know, had, had been playing with him, you know, through that relationship, he, knew I could do the gig and, and I got the gig right away without even having to audition really. That's awesome. Um, which was really great. And so my MO at the time was really just kind of to be, I really wanted to be a touring musician. So that was starting to happen. But I also realized on the road, there was all this downtime. Um, and I just, I didn't know what to do and I didn't want to sit around, you know, on either in the hotel or the tour bus and just like, wait for showtime and I, I know you can you know what that's like because yeah. you've toured and it's you got to find creative use of that time yes um so i just started developing clients and i knew i just wanted to write music but i didn't really have 
um, a set client target in mind. I just wanted to create. And around that time, a friend of mine was working for a toy company and he asked me if I could uh, compose music for some baby toys. And I said, I would love to. So I had this weird contrast of playing these rock shows and arenas at night. (laughs) And during the day I'm working on baby toys. It was really bizarre, but it was really fun. And do you ever get the two mixed up accidentally? You're like, yeah, I just like, I start sister (laughs) Christian on a marimba and we got problems. (laughs) Count to four. One, two, three, four. (laughs) Everyone say Jack Blades. (laughs) So, yeah, so, you know, and then it just came to a point where um, this is kind of where I felt like I grew as a person, as a musician. So one day I woke up and we were on tour journey. We were doing great. This is just a great tour and it was really fun and it was kind of approaching the end of it. And I woke up one morning with a feeling like it was time to move on and there was nothing negative about the experience that was forcing me to leave. It was I knew creatively that I needed to have the space to find whatever it is I needed to move to. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I always have trusted that, you know, that instinct of whatever it is. And I think it's really important if you're feeling that as a creative, as a musician, that you need to move to a, a different place to be happy. I think it's, you can't just ignore that. It's, it's and i feel like that translates to life too like you know if something that isn't feeling right to you there's something trying to emerge out of that that is bigger and better um so i listened to that and i resigned and it was hard to do um and then i really pursued just trying to do music for video games and advertising um and as a sound designer it was cool to be able to to also have the ability to uh market myself as I can do all the audio. So I, I was ta- talking to post-production houses and advertising companies and custom libraries, and I just started creating content for them. And that became, and it still is my nine to five now. I just do music for all these different outlets and it changes from day to day and mm-hmm. the genres change. You know, some days I'm just doing straight up electronica and it's really fun. Some days I'm doing like, you know, just roots rock stuff. Um, and then kids' toys and, and e-learning and then iOS games and such stuff like that. Um, but kind of something new that's come on the radar recently is that I, I've gotten the bug um, to um, provide a service for keyboard players to either consult or actually create sound design for them. Because okay. some some people just aren't technically savvy, mm-hmm. um, and they don't really care <laughs> about making sounds. And so I, I'm launching this company called Sounds Famous, and it's it's probably going to launch uh, around Christmas time. Um, and what I've done is it's basically since I'm not touring much anymore and I'm doing a lot of production, I want to still be able to create sounds and sell them. Yeah. Um, and so I'm. I just wanted to start working on a pack that I, I really felt close to, which was Prince. So I picked Prince. I started recreating all those old synth sounds. And I have friends in the industry that worked on Purple Rain and, wow. you know, had worked a revolution. I've talked to members of the revolution. And, and 
I'm like finding out the history behind what made those sounds, and I'm recreating, them and then resampling them and selling them. <laughs> wow, that's amazing, so man! It, it, it's really really fun, and um, it kind of gets me back into that tour mindset. So, not only that, I'm I'm also like creating sounds for. Um, Band. So I did some sound design and consultation for Rascal Flats. I built their main stage, Apple main stage rig. Okay. Um, Apple main stage is, is a platform. Uh, drummers can even check it out. It's 30 bucks. It's, it's made by Apple. Um, it can host virtual instruments, virtual drum programs, synth instruments. Um, and it's kind of what keyboard players have evolved to in the studio. And a lot of people live are actually moving towards it to host their instruments and, and, synth sounds and and what whatnot um so i've been starting to do consultation with bands you know upper tier touring acts um i recently had this one where uh national geographic reached out um they were doing a symphony um it's called symphony for our world and it was a show had on that was behind zimmer um yeah and the score was Yes, gorgeous. And um, it was Hans Zimmer and his team, Bleeding Fingers Music. And so I got a call uh, from a friend of mine, uh, and he said, uh, you know, Nat Geo is going to call you and see if you're interested in doing this gig. And basically, they need to extract the, the score, and I have to recreate all of Hans's team's sounds. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Which is like world class in itself. and. And these guys are the top of the game. And I asked them, how fast do you need it? And, uh, six days. And <laughs> oh, my gosh. Six days. It was one of those, you know, and you know, you know, you know, when you get those, like, you're sizing yourself up. You're like, can I do this? Is this possible? This is good. Do I do this? And you're, you're questioning whether. Right. And I, I just said, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, and. And if you I say no, it. will they ever call you again? Like, look, I don't have time. They're like, oh. And and and, and it seems like the, the response is always like, hey, man, I understand. Listen, if we have anything else in the future, you know, you're on our list. We'll call you. But it it's that's just like a conditioned response. And sometimes it it's you're afraid to say no to things because you're like, this could turn into something that never comes up again from this group yep. or this client. Yep. And you, you bring up a really interesting point because when I hear stories about, about friends that have that kind of opportunity knocks situation, it seems like those are the pivotal points of their career where something mm. special happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I look back on my career, it's kind of true. Like it, it, it's saying yes to something that may be slightly beyond your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, we're, we're human beings. It's easy to talk ourselves out of something and, and size ourselves up. And especially with social media being what it is, it's, it's easy to be like, well, so-and-so has all this going on. Like, who am I to do this? You know? Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's really kind of a sad thing. And, and that, I think that harkens back to like why I want to connect with people. Because when, I think when people are connected, there's, we're, we're naturally supposed to be that way to create. We're not supposed to create in a vacuum, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think there's a support system thing, and I just I appreciate having that. Um, so I really, really think those moments, you know, when those things come up, 
it's if if you know for the most part you can swing it i think the answer should be always yes (laughs) right and i said yes (laughs) right well it wasn't too long ago where somebody a producer asked if i could recreate these tracks for a live setting and and the answer inside was no, but the answer in my that came out was yeah, I, I can do that. And then as soon as I left the rehearsal, I I called my friend on the way home. I said, "Listen, I need to create a rig to do this live thing. You got to help me do it." <laughs> I said, "Yes." Uh, Wasn't it exciting? It was exciting, and and it and yeah. it got me off my ass to learn how to use a certain software that so many of my drummer friends already knew how to use. It- and that's the other thing yeah. is I have friends in town and, and even some a couple of players that have been guests on the, the podcast that that's kind of their side hustle is creating Ableton rigs for touring acts and and putting that together for the the organization or the drummer that may not be as tech savvy or have the time or energy to put into that. So they've developed a skill set that is marketable much in the same way that you've done with that, uh, saying, I'm going to create yeah. these keyboard sounds for the person that just doesn't have the interest, but maybe has the budget to yeah. uh, allow someone else to do that. And sure. that, that's, that's another aspect of, of, of creating work for yourself that I think is a takeaway for many, many of us to say, listen, what, where is there a need that, I, something that I can provide that I'm interested in, fascinated with, motivates me, inspires me, and yes. I have created an expertise at this. Yeah. And how do I present this to say, hey, look, if you need this, maybe it's not traditional. Like I can play drums, I can teach, you know, I can do all those things. There's so many different pieces and moving parts to this industry that you may find that one thing or a couple things that you do really well that you can bring to the table and someone is like, oh, good, this is taken care of. Call this guy and he'll knock it out. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think you're, you're talking about success, period. That's, I mm-hmm. feel like the, the most successful people that I look up to know that about success in the regard that they're doing stuff that they're passionate and inspired by. It's mm-hmm. not just like, mm-hmm. oh, there's a need for this, but I hate it. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Like I'm trying yeah. to make, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to make money off it or make a living off of it. Like we've all done stuff we've had to do. It's part of it, but I think it's also part of discovering what you like and what you like, and refining what it is you're truly passionate about, and doing those things because there's a quality, a creative quality comes out when you really truly love what you do. And it's infectious. People pick up on it. Producers, other musicians, mm-hmm. you know, band members, like people pick up on that stuff. You know, when mm-hmm. people say, you know, Matthew's got a great vibe, you know, it's what you're bringing to the table, the X factor, because you love what you do. You know, it's 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 I'm I'm realizing it more and more as time goes on. So quick question. Did you take the gig doing the Hans Zimmer thing? <laughs> I did, and I knocked it out in like three days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so awesome. Man. It was, it was really cool. And the weird thing was, is like I couldn't, I didn't have time to fly out to, to LA to do the premiere to get them up and running. It was like I had to do it all remotely to talk them through, 
And the even weirder part is that the keyboard player in the the keyboard chair in that you know orchestra changes every time they go to a different city. Oh wow! So I had, had to kind of make it and create the sounds in a way that was very intuitive, um, so there wasn't a lot of messing around uh, when when somebody new sat down to it. Um, so it was it was great, so exciting, um, just just to kind of like connect with what what that creative thing was going to be in the end this mm -hmm. awesome live symphony to picture you know that was on national geographic and and just do my part that i love to do and just tap into something greater without having to feel like i have to do all the heavy lifting i just do my small part um and enjoy it and was they were really happy with it and you know it just adds another thing a, I know I love doing it and I want to do more. Um, and and also just it, it kind of gives you that confidence like, yeah, like, you know, it as you get older, because I'm I'm 44. Like, I don't know how old you are. I'm, I'm a little bit older. Are you going to are you really? <laughs> yeah, I'm 40. But you're not going to reveal. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm 47. So, you, you know, you know what it is to like, um it's easy when you get older to want to the instinct I think is to rely on what you know and kind of the niche you've carved out and kind of just like maybe naturally coast. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I'm constantly trying to force myself out of that and I'll reach for opportunities that may be uh, slightly out of reach or slightly uh, above where I am. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. in order to kind of, I feel like that kind of slaps the doubt and fear out of things. And it forces you to really like connect as like the best of you to what you're trying to achieve. Um, so I, I've kind of learned to not be afraid of that stuff anymore. And just, and when they come, you know, they, those really cool opportunities, they may come once every year or or, you know, they don't come all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, you have your your everyday work and it's great. But when those things happen, I think it's really cool when, it, when you feel scared for a second. Because yes. if you look back on it, you know what I mean? Look back like on all the times you felt that way and you've conquered it. It's like totally. those were highlights, you know? Uh, dude, I, I was... I that's what I was thinking when you were saying that is, is when you're young and you're, everything is new. Everything is a, a slightly out of your reach. Yeah. Even if it's just performing for in an arena for the first time or doing your first couple sessions or something, and those are pivotal moments, but everything is a pivotal moment. And as you get older and more experienced, less and less of those fearful moments that you overcome and that again it's it's the thrill the the thrill seeking the that that to me is living life and how do you continue to recreate that as you get older so you don't become complacent with a coasting type career or life yeah i i think just constantly trying to reach and try to be better than you were the day before i made the mistake early on on of trying to compare myself to other people and peers and you know, I, I, there was a window of time I just wanted to be John Bryan. <laughs> you know, I'm like, <laughs> he's an amazing composer and musician and just like, and, you know, for that period of time, my stuff 
kind of sound like John Bryan, but would never sound like John Bryan because I'm not John Bryan. Um, and, you know, slowly I would read interviews with, with people I looked up to and they would constantly, you know, I, I would see this over and over, this theme of, you know, find out what it is that you uniquely do best and mm-hmm. do that. And but I'm like, but I want to be John Bryan. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was so resistant of it. And, and it wasn't to like in the last five or seven years that I've really embraced the things that I do best. And I think the sooner you can just surrender to that and not trying to be so much like everyone else. Cause I mean, there's part, you know, early on there's, there's an emulation period where you're, you're inspired by certain things. And I, I think you pick up things along the way, but yeah. at some point you start trusting your instinct and the things that you love Mm -hmm. and and those things start coming out is uniquely you Mm -hmm. and then people want you for what you uniquely do exactly and i feel like i'm starting to cross over into that more and more as i get older and and if i were to do it all over again i would have tried to embrace that earlier um but you almost can't you almost can't i think you there's a rite of passage that has to be learned to like you say, you go through an emulation period, you go through trials, you go through ups and downs. Uh, what, what is my um, my wife and I have been using this term "early rise, early rot" with uh, <laughs> as as our children are growing and and they have peers that are uh, in all different stages of of their educational journey, and you just you just have amazingly gifted young people that are doing wonderful things and it's really inspiring um but making sure that kids are kids my my point is is sometimes we force young people to have an an insane success or a level of success that you see in media and stuff like that and and i think that the history tells us that sometimes that can be dangerous. Yeah, uh, and and it's I think it's important for in in just your growth as a person and your growth as a musician or growth through your career to have certain things that that teach you lessons about how to um, how to make mistakes and recover, how to maintain yeah. relationships that can be difficult, uh, and and all those things that make you who you are so that you get hired for being that person that can work under stressful situations. Yep. You know? Yeah. I I know so many producers that just hire, I feel like they hire me because I'm just fun to be around on a session. <laughs> you are you know fun, I mean? man. Like, <laughs> 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 Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, but honestly, like, I think that, creativity should be fun and it should it shouldn't be a burden um and it should be something that should feel light and you know Mm. there's no room for bringing your baggage into somebody else's party yeah (laughs) i love that feel light well how many times have we done something and then somebody hands you a check and and you're like oh yeah i forgot we get paid for this right and it's and, amazing. Uh, or when you find yourself in a situation where you're looking at the clock, going, "How much longer is this going to take?" Because I and and, you're, and I find myself this is this is not this is not good. I don't want to have to look yeah. at a clock. I want time to go by. I want this to be the best situation. 
So, yep. so let me ask you, as you were discovering these things, and there was an article I read that kind of ties into what you, there's a, you, you say in an article, you say, I've always followed my heart and my gut in life and work. And that ties into what you, what we've been discussing here. Yeah. So you found the things that you've loved to do and made the decisions to leave a, a, a great uh, working touring situation to refocus your energies on that. That's what a great, what a great story. What a great example of, of that. But the nuts and bolts of it, how do you procure work? How do you market yourself? How did you get to where you are now, where this is your nine to five? It's funny. I have other peer composers, you know, friends that are trying to transition from live work to studio work or to production. Um, And they're like, like, how did you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like this magic trick because, you know, we if you're a live musician, you rely on the next gig to pay your bills, yeah. <clears throat> you know, and that's your living. Um, and it's rare that you see guys, <clears throat> especially in Nashville, that do both. Um, it's either you're in town or out of town. And, and at least that's kind of how I've kind of seen it. Like, you know, the session guys, you know, the guys that kind of stick around in town and then there's a lot of guys. There's some guys that do both. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, the transition, I was doing both at the same time before my departure from playing live. So I had a vision for what I wanted to do, but I didn't just leap. It looks like I just jumped. Mm-hmm. And in in some ways, you know, having to let go of a, you know, a great gig like I had and, and the money that I was making from it. Yeah, I knew it was it was going to hurt a little bit, and it did. I mean, there's no easy way around it, um, you know. And the funny thing is, and I don't really share this much, but I I will with you is that. <laughs> so when I left Night Ranger, um, my my wife and I moved to Los Angeles, and I had a lot of friends there, and I thought I was just going to like do the LA thing. You know, and use the relationships I had to get more back into record production and do that kind of stuff. And we were there for about six months, and we just hated it. Mm. And we blew we blew through our savings, and because it's just so expensive there. And you know, I had great experiences musically there, but it wasn't what I thought was going to happen in the slightest. But in retrospect, if I look back on it, and I'm honest about it. I'm glad it happened the way it did because to really get serious about like, what do I want as opposed to, I'm just going to move to LA and make it happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, you know, I thought like, you know, it, it's a sure thing. Like I've made it this far in my career. It's going to be fine. So we moved back to Chicago and I just kind of started building clients, advertising clients in Chicago. Um, and so I kind of like had to like hit bottom for a second. And of like, I'm, I took the leap of my dream, but I already kind of had things in the works. So it's not just like this cut and dried thing. Um, and I was just hustling side gigs live wherever I could, playing bass, playing keyboards, just so I could like have the the breathing room to find these clients. Yeah, you know, make the cold calls, mm-hmm. take meetings, and just tell people what I wanted to do. And then I put together a reel and started showing people. And then. 
Next thing you know, you're just you're building clients. And at that point, when things were really starting to move within three years, we moved to Nashville. And that's when that move was done in a very mature way in that I had so many relationships in Nashville. Um, and there's a lot of things rooted in Nashville that I knew were kind of a sure thing because I had those relationships and I was already playing on sessions and, and doing stuff there. Yeah. So that move, you know, was special and it was really exciting and okay. all these new opportunities. And frankly, like, you know, if we, uh, you know, my home situation, we have some family, um, with some health issues and that's part of the reason why we moved, um, back, you know, up North and, um, part of me really misses Nashville and, and just misses the, um, the camaraderie. Cause Nashville is one of the, as you know, like mm-hmm. is one of the rare places that really reveres and cherishes like music, music process and the community is the best I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. cause I got tied into, um, Tom Hurst, you know, Tom, right? Yeah, for sure. Amazing drummer, mm-hmm. um, and he he does the uh, whole the Nashville drummer jam in Nashville, and I I was lucky enough to do two of those with him and a slew of amazing drummers in Nashville, and and uh, he just he, he introduced me to all these people that you know if if something was wrong with somebody in that community with their family, like everyone would pool together and help. And that was so refreshing to see that when I was there. And I really missed that sense of community. And that's what brings me back. I'm going back next week to, or later this week to track on some stuff. It's it's just because I really crave those relationships. Yeah. And I crave that process in that environment. It's just home to me. So much of what we do is built upon relationships. And, and I think as technology allows us to work away from people or work on our own. You just cannot separate that. You need to continue to somehow maintain those relationships and, and cultivate that because, and, and I think that Tom is a perfect example of somebody that puts his heart and passion into what he does by creating things like the Nashville Drummer Jam, uh, the uh, loud jams that he does, on uh i think it's it's one monday the first monday of each month and that's that's just volunteering his time and energy into into helping to do this and and the community grows from it and work comes from that but that's that's a byproduct of yeah. somebody's passion yeah it's natural yes yeah. And, and that's Tom's passion. Like first of, you know, he's an amazing person, as you know, he's yeah, just yeah. heartfelt and loyal and just such a great guy. And I'm still grateful to be in contact with him after I moved and, and, um, but also he's like passionate about connecting people and he's really brilliant at it. And I love that. And I love, I, I, anytime I talk to him, I just talk, you know, anytime I can see you or anything, anytime play together i want to do it because i just love you know being around you and i love 
you know, how people react to you and that energy and, and the, the togetherness of bringing people together in either Nashville drummer jam or loud jams. And I've met some lifelong friends from both those, you know, and yeah. just, you know, and, you know, they're, they're not paying gigs, but I wouldn't trade them for any money in the world. So, you know, keyboards are, are just something you, you can tell from, you know, from the from the 60s to now, you've got analog to digital to different ways of storing sounds. Even going back four years ago, your rig changed live over time. Oh, yeah. Uh, as it did for so many people. And, and there's so many drummers now that can do their job with the same kit that Gene Krupa was using. <laughs> yeah, luck. You guys are really lucky. I'm sure it saves. I'm sure it saves money. <laughs> no, I'm still spending lots of money. <laughs> uh, you know, because you gotta you gotta find the perfect tambourine for the song. That's right. That's right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, I. There's something to that. I. I. I told Travis McNabb because he's always like I, I watch him on Instagram all the time, and mm-hmm. he's you know, on the road, he's going, you know, people that don't know Travis, he plays with Sugarland and was in Better Than Ezra and amazing person, amazing drummer. And yeah, he, uh, I'm always watching his Instagram and he's posting like he's in Colorado at some amazing drum shop, you know, buying some cool tambourines. And I, I messaged him and I'm like, man, next time you're out, you know, I want to go on your tambourine shopping spree because <laughs> there, there is something cool about having the right tambourine for the song. <laughs> Dude, my, you know? my, yeah, my son was helping me tear down from the session and he goes, oh, what, what's that drum? I said, it, it, looking at this big case, I said, son, that's tam- that, that is a case full of tambourines right there. <laughs> <laughs> so you know. <laughs> yeah, oh, you know, and Travis early on in this, in this show, I think the first year he was on, we gave him two episodes. He's an in, insanely insightful uh, yeah. musician. Worth yeah, worth, worth following and checking out. Yeah. Oh, he's amazing and just a cool dude and he, very musical. And I just love the records he plays on because he he plays with that fire and that intensity. And he's just he's invested a thousand percent into what he's doing. And but but still you know. but still a lot of but but doesn't sacrifice the swing and the swag for for Never. what he's doing. He's got the shoulders. I call some drummers have the shoulders, and that I call that that. Because it's, I start moving and I'm, you know, that's, I'm in the dance factor of what they're doing. That's know? right. That's great. <laughs> um, but in in answer to your question, it's interesting because now th- there's kind of crossover, and you get a lot of producers and keyboard players that are, and and sound designers. I mean, there's a lot of DJs that are crossing over and doing drum programming, and mm-hmm. you know, these guys. Some of these guys are doing it all themselves. Um, but I really think that like a drummer always brings more, sometimes more uh, musical drum part ideas to a production, even if it's programmed. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, the programming that I've heard on some things are just, it's not what a drummer would do. And sometimes it's okay, you know, because mm-hmm. that's what it, the part needed. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's cool to have that, that um knowledge of polyrhythm and layering and and um and groove and some of the my favorite drum programmers are drummers 
you know, yeah, yeah. that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd love to see more drummers, um, you know, grabbing machine or grabbing logic or something and, mm-hmm. and kind of getting their teeth cut on some programming. Cause MIDI programming, once you start getting into it is really not difficult and they have all the ideas from being a drummer to make a great drum track. Then it's mm-hmm. just picking sounds and sound design or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, there's times where I struggle with drum programming and it's stuff that a drummer would be like, oh, just do this. And, mm-hmm. and it would work great. Yeah. So, you know, I, I know my limitations with, my, with, you know, when it comes to drums. And if I can't get drums on something, I'll use stuff from Loop Loft, which are actual drum performances from, you know, Matt Chamberlain or, or something and, and use that. I don't want to always have to do that because I value you know, live playing, but there's, there's just times where that stuff, there's just no time or budget for it. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's the part that I kind of don't like, um, you know, that budgets have down and expectation has gone up Mm. with clients. Okay. Um, you know, and I, I think that if more drummers had access to the tools or, or just, you know, started checking some of that stuff out, um, I think there's something to that. I think there's value in in knowing a little bit about DAWs, about recording, about mm-hmm. drum programming. I mean, you can just get machine, you know, Native Instruments machine. It's a standalone drum pad, and you can, you know, do it all right there on the interface of the uh, of the hardware, and it's connected to your software, and it comes with a wealth of sounds that are amazing. And just get your feet wet with programming, because don't leave it up to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. I yeah. love it, but man, there's yeah. times where I just want a drummer to do what they do and then I can just play on top of it, you know. Well, it was drum is not my forte. It was, it was, you know, even early on, it was just simple ideas where somebody would say, "Well, listen, when 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 you hear the the drum machine play a drum fill, the hi-hat stops because the yes. drummer is using his hands, and you know there there are obviously exceptions. But I mean, if you understand some of the 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 rules, like you say, the polyrhythms, you know you know how to break the rules if you're creating something unique. Uh, yeah. But but having a starting place from a drummer's perspective, right? That exactly, and 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 that almost ties into my my other question, which is um, like if you could give us a perspective on where the music business is heading and, and, and get, you just, you have to come on, Christian, I need a I need a, a prediction of the future. No, I, I know that this, <laughs> I know this sounds heavy, but, but it's kind of, kind of where you may see the music business heading and maybe even some newer innovative business models that have been working. Uh, start on the business part. Cause that's the part that I'm actually is making sense to me now mm-hmm. <laughs> more so than where thing where the industry is going. And also I, I will say that like, you know, I don't do record production as much as I used to. Um, so in the sense of record making and artists, you know, artist development, I'm not really quite sure. Um, mm-hmm. I have friends that are doing that at a high level and they're just doing what they do and putting out music independently or through a label so I don't really know that I can't really speak to that, but I can speak to the business side of it because 
you know, as time has moved on and I've been able to cultivate relationships and clients and actually kind of build a brand or build just a clientele and make a living off it. Um, I'm, I totally see a trend in just the entrepreneur, um, and finding out what you, like we talked about it, finding out what you uniquely do best and what you're passionate about and marketing that either yourself or, or with some, you know, alliance, but you see it all the time. Like you see all these, all of a sudden there's all these, you know, top A-list recording engineers doing mix with the masters, you know, and they, they've come together to do these, you know, conferences, you know, and they videotape them and you can buy them as a subscription online. And that was unheard of, you know, five, 10 years ago, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, no one, you, you don't have access to that kind of information, but that's something that they created. You know, somebody had the idea to do it and it's a peer to peer connection mm -hmm. as opposed to having to go through, you know, a bunch of people or, or to be at a certain level before you can access that kind of knowledge or, or access those people. Um, so I think it's really cool. I mean, so I was starting to work on my Prince pack for, for sounds famous and uh, I got about four songs in and I'd done 1999 and I recreate all the synth sounds, but I'm also doing all the drum sounds. So I mm. went back and I'm, I'm, you know, I got, uh, you know, I have, uh, Lynn drum samples that I'm actually processing like Prince processed on those records. Um, I had talked to, uh, Matt Fink from the revolution. I had talked to, uh, David Leonard who lives in Nashville, who mixed purple rain. And he would tell me that they would run the outputs of, of the Lindrum into a boss flanger and, and some other pedals. Wow. And so I just took that. I'm like, well, if I'm going to recreate these sounds as close to the record, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so yeah. I went, and went on eBay and I found a vintage, you know, 80s Japanese boss flanger pedal and bought it and got it home and ran the lint through it. And I'm like, holy crap, it's Prince. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, it's really great. So it's cool. And so I'm not just doing the synth sounds, I'm doing the drum sounds. Yeah. And I have Michael Britt, who does, he lives in Nashville too. He, he's a big... Uh, uh, Kemper guy. He makes Kemper profiles for guitar players. And he, so he's working on the guitar sounds that go with these sounds. So uh -huh. I'm looking to offer all these sounds together that you can access these famous, you know, off the record sounds. That's um, amazing. So the point of this was something and I just totally spaced it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the business, the business we'll, we'll side of this shit out. <laughs> <laughs> no way, no way, no way. Um, just no, kind of business, oh, business, so, business. Okay. Yeah. So the, the, the peer to peer thing. So my point, so I, I made these sounds and I just thought I'd start doing teasers on Instagram. So I started putting out, you know, me playing the sounds for 1990 and uh, Dirty Mind and I think one was Erotic City and I posted them and I kind of just fun tagged members of the revolution and just people that were affiliated with Prince mm -hmm. and the first day I got a message from Matt Fink who is one of my idols because Prince and the revolution were like my all-time favorite 
And he's, he posted, just sounds just like the record. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm freaking <laughs> out. Like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then I posted another one, and then he messaged me. He inboxed me and said, hey, what would you think about making sounds for me? And oh, yeah. that's when I was just like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> I can't believe this. This is, this is amazing because this is peer-to-peer, mm-hmm. just based off of something that I was passionate about. And I was doing anyway. And how am I able to connect with these people without really having to do anything other than doing something that I love to do because I care about it and I'm doing it at the best ability I can. And that future is, I think that if you're able to connect with where you want to go quickly, um, if you're smart to put yourself out there in the right way and like for me it's just my intention is like social media is kind of a unnecessary evil and i'm sure you kind of feel the same way in yeah. some regards yeah it's for evil <laughs> 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 we won't go into that this no. episode but yeah no but um but yeah like i think i think it's for the right way or the right reasons um you can connect with anybody and you know if you're putting yourself out there and trying to achieve something, I feel like you can do it a lot quicker, but it's going to be peer to peer and it's going to be instant. And I think that's really exciting. The only problem about that is that I've discovered and it's part, you know, been part of my challenge is that musicians inherently are not business people. Mm -hmm. And that has been a challenge. I mean, I've gotten burned on some things early, not like Billy Joel burned, but like, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> it's like a level of burn. Peoples. Yeah. That's like, a... yeah, no, yeah. but like just, just things where I just like didn't dot the I's and cross the T's in the contracts. And, you know, when things are starting to happen, you really need to look at those things. And so now it's just like, I, I just try to, as much as possible, eliminate the middleman and just go straight for what I'm trying to do. And I think that's really the future. And like, for, for example, I have a, um, I have an impact that I did that was based off of my vintage Hammond organ. Um, and there's a site called Gumroad and that my friend was telling me about it's gumroad.com. And he's like, you know, you can just throw that up on a site on, on, on Gumroad you put in your information and people can download it for $15, $20. And, you know, it just sits up there for perpetuity. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've probably made $8,000 off it in the last oh. year and a half. Oh my and it's like passive income. And like, that was kind of a test. I made the pack because I wanted to. Yeah. I wanted keyboard players to have presets that sounded like my vintage organ, you know, for main stage. And because I wanted to use it, yeah, you know? yeah, and but putting it up there was a great beta test. It was like, wait a second, I can make a living off doing that off of something that I wanted to do, and it's peer to peer and direct. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of like the beta test. Now with Sounds Famous, I know, okay, like this is totally possible, and if I connect with the right people to market it properly, that peer to peer thing just continues and. It's you can carve out your own niche a lot easier these days, I think. Well, and I and I think that that way of creating a business is it it compounds itself. You you talk about passive income. Once you've done the work and you, it's up there, it's still 
it's still moving. It's still created. You've invested that time and creativity and energy into into something that is still creating income. It, it, like you were saying, live. If if you do strictly live performance, you're going from gig to gig. Yeah, and, and you, you do the gig, you get paid, and and the transaction is is done and over. There's a the beginning yeah. and an end. And sometimes some of this stuff, some of this, uh, what do they call it? Um, intellectual property that you're creating that can be uh, that maybe has a little bit more of a life to it. Yeah, I th- um, I think it's like I, I look at it this way. Yes, we're musicians. Yes, we play the instruments we play. Mm-hmm. But I think innately we're creatives. And that's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's the thing that's helped me get out of just the pigeonhole of like, well, I'm just going to be a keyboard player or I'm just going to be a producer. Mm-hmm. When you, you realize that we're all creative mm-hmm. inherently and mm-hmm. that's kind of like our gift and, and just what that looks like is different between people. I think it, it opens the door to a lot of possibilities that are pretty much infinite. Because then you start piecing together things that you love to do, and then you can find a home for it. But I think it really comes down to what you're passionate about, what you love to do, mm-hmm. and then connecting the dots and connecting with other people. And I think that's where success really happens. You know, yeah, I think yeah. being prepared, you know, and just doing your best, but doing what you love. I think that's the. I think that's the jam. Man. Yeah, so wise, dude. I, I mean, so much, so much useful information uh, as far as just kind of getting our heads out of our own world and space that oftentimes we create. Um, and I, I, I mean, just talking to you the couple times. I think what we met maybe two years ago, thanks to Mike Martin introducing us uh, at the Nam, and then we were able to reconnect here. But just in our conversation yeah. at Nam this year. It didn't really dawn on me to have you on the show until we were just chatting, and I'm like, I need, I need to hear more. I need to hear more of this, of what you have to say, and and I, I'm hoping that my that our listeners will will be able to take in and and put this to practice because it applies to all of us, and in such yeah. a such an important way. Well, I can't tell you how stuff that you've said that I can't wait to go back on when it comes out and just stuff I've picked up from you as well. And oh, and that's the beauty of it, you know, because there's your experiences are completely different than mine and that we probably have some shared experiences, but you know, it's just cool to hear where you're coming from with things. And I love what you're doing with this podcast. I think it's incredible. Thank um, you, man. I think, I really think more people should just be open to hearing new ideas. I mean, when I'm not, you know, working or with my family or something, I'm always checking out podcasts, you know, checking just new ideas to improve, mm-hmm. not just musically. Cause I think if you grow as a person, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to grow as a musician. Well, I, I can say, I mean, uh, this is what we've done is we've simply provided a platform for for people to share their ideas and i'm i'm really i'm i'm proud of what it's become and I, and i'm i'm super happy to have mike and and zach on board with me they do they both do such a, a great job kind of like helping us all maintain a, a collective vision of how we want to maintain this but 
discussing these ideas and these things i mean they're they're so helpful to me but then but then to actually put them to practice is is another hurdle that i've discovered uh when you have these conversations and you meet your peers and you you get these inspirational ideas to to really make it a part of your practice can be a challenge, yeah. especially when you've operated a certain way for so many years or you thought a certain way for so many years. But I have noticed, it's taken me a little bit of time, I have noticed that a lot of the decisions that I've been making recently stem from some of the inspiration that I draw from the guests, whether it's Travis McNabb or Tom or you. I'm, I, 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 it makes me feel more confident about uh, deciding to work with certain people or maybe deciding not to work with certain people. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, and the fear of losing work, the fear of missing out, the fear of, you know, when you're self-employed and saying no and never getting called again has been such a distraction for me to not follow my passion and to be more of a yeah. creative I'm so happy you said that because I feel like with social media, people blow over that. It's and people don't see it. Mm-hmm. Like they just think like, oh, you know, everything's perfect in that person's universe. You know, <laughs> I can't tell you. Just you know, since I left Nashville, when I go back and see people, they're like, dude, you're killing it right now. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm doing the same stuff I've been doing in the last five to ten years is like it's just you're you're seeing it through the lens of my social media and the better i get at social media the more it looks like i'm just killing the game but it's like no that's that's not the truth that what you're not seeing is all the challenges and and the setbacks and the self-doubt you know there's some mornings where i'm just like i don't feel creative and i have a client deadline at three and it's like you know what's that about <laughs> you know what i mean there's no glory in that you you got to get it done and there's mm-hmm. days where they're really hard it's hard you know it is hard. and you you know there was this is funny i i can't believe i even worried about this so my hvac went out in january mm-hmm. and january is notoriously slow time for clients for me every year mm-hmm. and it's like i forget every year <laughs> <laughs> and my HVAC goes out. It's like twelve grand, and I'm yeah. sitting here going, "Holy crap! Like, what am I gonna do? Like, even at this stage of my career, I'm like worried about work, and like, it's like I'm back to being 21 again, and like, mm-hmm. w- you know, in my head, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But it's stuff we we're human. It's like, you know, we want to feel secure, we want to feel good about what we're doing, and we want to feel connected. And you know, I. I just kind of took a time out and said, you know what? It's totally cool. Like it's going to come around and just keep doing what you do because you love it. And that's why you've gotten to where you are. And that's why you'll get to where you're going is because you love what you do and people will move around that, you know, because you are true to yourself and you know, it's infectious. Like I, I think that's why inherently I was attracted to what you're doing and and who you are as a person that I want to connect with you because you, you're passionate about what you're doing. And Thank you, man. you know, that's that's energizing and it's validating. Cool. You know. Well and, and you have now you have a, a son and you have added responsibility and, and all these things that can put that weight on you, but is also an inspiration to 
to work hard. It is. I, do you have kids? I do. I have two sons. How old? 13 and 16. Oh, amazing. Yeah, they're awesome. I love it. So you know, like, like there's a period, I mean, my son's about, about to turn two. Um, it's a little different, but you've been through that phase. And you know that, like, when you have a family to think about and you're a creative, the parameters do change a little bit. And what I've noticed is that, like, you get more serious about what you do have time for and what you don't have time for. And thankfully what I don't have time for is, you know, people that ultimately don't belong in my life, you know, drama, you know, just clients that just don't get it or, you know, people that are toxic and you just kind of, it forces you to get out of that stuff. And, and I'm so much happier for it. I'm like, my son's giving me these wonderful gifts. Thank you. <laughs> you can't even talk yet. This is great. <laughs> yes, yes. It does It does change your perspective. Uh, I don't think you have to have kids to have that perspective. I think you just yeah. have to have respect for your time and your life and confident that, it, uh, that you have something good to give and share. Yeah. And, um, and it's just time to... You know, let's be the force. Let's be the the, major, the the majority in this business of just positive and creative energy. So that yeah, this is too much uh, negative. And 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 I, I it's it's taken me a while, but I've I've learned over time. I just I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. It's yeah. not worth it. You know, you carry that around that excess baggage with you, and it and it it transfers. It sometimes you end up taking it out on on the people you love the most. So. Uh, it's, yeah. you know, I just, I think it's really refreshing that you have this kind of approach and diet. Um, because I've always felt that way, but I notice people are kind of hesitant about opening up in that way. And it's like the, the business for them becomes a mm-hmm. business and it's more like trying to get something versus trying to make something. currently talking to the people at Personas. Personas makes digital consoles and they make amazing recording software. Right. Um, they have one called Studio One. And um, Rick over at Personas, uh, who's a wonderful guy, him and I were talking over social media just from those Prince posts. And he's like, dude, those Prince sounds are amazing. He's like, what do you think about working with us and bundling sounds with the DAW? Oh, and wow. I was like, I didn't even, that didn't even occur to me. You know, that like their their fan base is huge. They're an amazing company. They have mm-hmm. very capable software for samples. Um, and it's something that never would have dawned on me, but he was open to it and I was open to what he had to say. And now we're talking about a partnership with something. And it's like I feel like those things only happen out of when you're passionate about something and when you can just be open, you know. I, I wouldn't have thought to do that. Um, it's just, there's cool stuff out there (laughs) and that's the fun part about it. Like if you just start having the courage to put yourself out there a little bit more than you think you can, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I think start to those doors kind of open. And yeah, I mean like 
I have experience and like I'm older and there's I've done in my life that kind of equate to, you know, where I'm at in my career. But I really am such, we talked about it, just pushing yourself out of that comfort zone and just kind of trying to always reach for something that it may seem out of reach, but it's really not. And there's all this amazing stuff on the other side of that fear. Man, I love it. I love it. Christian, I can't thank you enough, man. This has just been, I have uh, a, a page of notes that I've prepared and I've maybe looked at two of the things that I wrote down <laughs> because we went completely different directions that I couldn't have anticipated and, and just super excited about what you brought to the table today. Awesome. Likewise. I mean, it's been such a pleasure talking to you and, yeah. and just getting to, know, getting to know you better has been just so much fun. Awesome, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Thank you, Christian, so much. Awesome. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Thanks, man. Have a All great right, day. Bye. Bye-bye. You too. So there is my conversation with Christian. I want to take some time to thank our friend Mike Martin, who introduced us a couple years ago at the NAMM show here in Nashville, and we've kept in touch and Christian is just a, an, an amazing musician and, a, and an amazing person, and it was just really fun to talk with him. In, even in our conversations one-on-one, I could tell that he would be a great guest to have on the show. When we talked at NAM, he was telling me more about his session with Abe Laboreal Jr., and one thing that I think we didn't touch upon that was really fun to talk about was when Abe was in the room and working out drum parts— Christian said that he just had an amazing sense of what to leave out and what to play, anticipating what the recording needed. And so he would lay down a foundation or a drum part knowing that there would be a guitar part or a percussion part or something that would work really well for the song and just how he could see that. And he had, Christian had a similar experience with Vinny Caliuda as well. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview. Many thanks to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance. Keep up with the hashtag working drummer on your Instagram posts, and we will repost them for you. I think we're up to 10,000, and really appreciate that. That was uh, That's a lot of fun to keep up with that. If you recall, we had Joe Crabtree as a guest a few weeks ago, and he has some great things online. He's offered 10% off any of our listeners that are interested in his key counting method. If you go to keycounting.com slash working drummer, you can get 10% off. Also, if you go to joecrabtree.com slash join, you can get 20% off an annual gold pass or a lifetime platinum pass with the coupon code working drummer, all one word. So check that out. But as for now, we thank you all so much for listening, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.